Well, good to see you all this morning. I'm very excited to be here, and I hope that you are too. Welcome to the guests who have joined us here today. Glad that you are here worshiping with us today. Let's pray, shall we, as we turn our attention to God's Word. Lord, we just thank you and we praise you. We thank you for coming to earth, Jesus, and dying in our place for our sins. And as we focus our attention today on what you did on the cross and In particular, the Lord's Supper that you gave us as remembrance. Lord, would you work in our hearts to fill us with awe and joy, hope, worship today as we see once again. Lord, we ask and pray for this because we know that no good will come apart from the work of your Spirit. So we ask it in your name, Jesus, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, how many of you have ever... Uh, driven a route so many times, you've just gone there so many times that you don't even think about driving there when you're on the way there. It could be from home to work or from work to home. You're just, you, just, you just go. And you have that feeling where you're like, wait a minute, how, I don't remember the last 10 minutes of my drive because I wasn't paying attention to what's going on. How many of you have that? Yes. Okay, good. One. Good. More. Okay, good. How many of you have ever gone to the wrong place? Because you were on that familiar route, and you got on autopilot, and you just, and you're like, why am I here? This is not where I meant to go. Well, the more familiar we are with something, the more likely we are to take it for granted. I grew up in a Catholic church, and we did the same rituals every week. And over time, I I just stopped paying attention. I was on autopilot. I was just going through the motions. Stand up, sit down, kneel. Say these words. Stand up, sit down, kneel. Say these words. Stand up, sit down, kneel. Say these words. I wasn't paying attention. It was meaningless for me. I was not engaged at all. And I don't want that to happen at Gospel Fellowship Church when we take the Lord's Supper. It's a risk that we take because we take it weekly I don't want us to slip into autopilot when it comes to our relationship with Jesus Christ. Just going through the motions. When we come to the table, we want to be strengthened spiritually as we feast in the presence of Jesus Christ. I want us to grow in fellowship with Jesus and in gratitude for Jesus. I want us to have a sense of of awe and joy and hope every single time we come to his table. The Lord's Supper is a picture of Jesus' sacrificial death to save us, and I hope it never gets old for us, that we never take it for granted. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're honing in this week once again on the Lord's Supper because we do it every week and because we don't want it to become something that we take for granted or just go through the motions on. And the message for us this morning is to come to Christ's table eagerly to receive life-giving, soul-strengthening grace from Him. Come to the table eagerly. And when you think about the Lord's Supper, I want you to think of five looks. We look back, we look to, we look ahead, we look in, and we look around. Would you just say those with me, okay? We look back, we look Two, we look ahead, we look in, and we look around. We're going to 
look at these five looks in just a moment. But before we do, I want to set the context of what's happening in the church in Corinth. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we're beginning in verse 17. There's a problem in the church. When the church is gathering together, rather than the church being built up by its worship, they're tearing each other apart. Paul says in verse 17, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. The point of coming together as a church is to worship God and to be built up in the faith, both by God and by one another. But that's not happening in Corinth. The the Corinthians were creating divisions in their worship service, and it was happening because of the way that they were taking the Lord's Supper. Verse 18, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you, in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. In short, the divisions revealed who were genuine disciples of Christ and who weren't. The proof was not merely in what they believed, but in how they behaved. Rotten fruit meant a rotten tree. What was happening? Verse 20, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. They're not waiting for one another, verse 33. And the result, one goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. And the Corinthian church is a messed up church, if you read that, that letter. And some of Paul's harshest criticism comes right here in how they're taking the Lord's Supper together. The word meal in verse 21 refers to the main meal of the day, which was for them supper. We see that when the early church gathered for worship, they shared a meal together during which they observed the Lord's Supper. We see this also in chapter 10, verses 16 through 22, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 and 46, Acts chapter 20, verses 7 and 11, Jude chapter 12, and so on and so on. This is the pattern of the early church. It's why we have a fellowship meal here as a church every week, and we remind you often not to see that as something separate, but as as a part of our worship service together. That's a part of our service. The problem in Corinth was that every person, each person was going ahead with his own meal such that some were going hungry and others were getting drunk. And specifically, the have-nots were the one who were going hungry. Those who have nothing, verse 22, they were humiliated or shamed. The last people to show up for the worship gathering would have been the slaves. The Romans followed a 10-day work week, and so if you're going to worship every seven days, the early church either had to meet very, very early in the morning or more often late at night. The last people to get there would be the slaves because they had to tend to their own master's supper before they could go and have their own. So these people are showing up, and by the time they get there, there's nothing left. Those who have nothing were going hungry. Some folks are stuffing themselves and getting drunk while the poorest go hungry. Paul is saying to them something like this. How do you call yourself a Christian when you selfishly pig out and let your poor brothers and sisters who have nothing go hungry? What kind of faith is that? Does that build up the church? No. 
You're despising it, verse 22. Is this the Lord's Supper? No, it is not, verse 20. You dishonor Christ. You see, the symbol of the greatest self-sacrifice has become an occasion for selfishness. What was supposed to strengthen their faith was now for the worse. What was supposed to bring them together in unity as one was causing division. Paul wants them to take the Lord's Supper in a way that reflects the gospel it proclaims and the fellowship that it produces. He wants them to take the Lord's Supper in a way that represents the gospel it proclaims and the fellowship that it produces. How do they do that? Well, he works to correct them, first by anchoring them in what this meal is for. So our first point, we look back and we look to. We're going to cover the first two looks at the same time in this point because they go together. We look back remembering what Christ has done on the cross, and in doing so, we look to Christ for strength. Look at verses 23 to 25. Paul reminds them of the words of Jesus when he established this supper. Now, I know these are very familiar words because we read them every week. Today, we're going to take a closer look at these words because we want to see the rich depth of meaning in them. So as we read them, I want you to Pay attention closely. Don't check out. This is time to check in. As I've studied this again this week, oh, I've just had a new appreciation for the Lord's Supper. I've been praying that that is how this sermon would impact us as a church. So let's read these words closely. Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, when Jesus said, This is my blood body. He meant it represents his body. He didn't mean that it's his literal body. He couldn't mean that because he's sitting there right in front of them, right? This is my body. It represents my body. It's like someone who takes a map and they, they show you the map and they say, this is the United States. This is the United States. And this isn't actually the literal United States. This map represents the United States. That's what Jesus is saying here when he says, this is my body. Now, there's only one command here, and it's repeated twice. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me, verse 24 and 25. Now, although we're commanded to observe the Lord's Supper, we're not told how often. The New Testament pattern seems to be that the early church Observe the Lord's Supper whenever they gathered. And when you see the amazing spiritual gift, the gift of God's grace that this is meant to communicate, to impart to us, you will understand why we as a church have chosen to do this every week. The Lord's Supper is a memorial. It's a remembrance. It's a backward-looking feast, just like the Passover meal was. We look back 
remembering God's work of redemption, just like they did when they did the Passover. We remember Christ's death on the cross to redeem us from God's wrath against our sin. We look back with thanks and praise for everything that Jesus has done. The Lord's Supper is a divine institution where the blessings of the new covenant are represented visually and applied spiritually. It's both a sign and a seal. The blessings of the new covenant are represented visually through the sign. What does the sign include? It includes the bread, the wine, the breaking of the bread, the pouring of the wine, the taking and eating and drinking of those things, and doing all of that together. That is the sign. Okay, All of those parts are the sign of the Lord's Supper. It's a symbol, but it's not just a symbol. It's more than a symbol. It's also a seal. The blessings of the new covenant are applied to us spiritually by Christ, who is present with us in the Lord's Supper by the Holy Spirit. So the Lord's Supper symbolizes and affirms five things. First, it symbolizes Christ's death and affirms his love. Jesus took the bread and he said, this is my body, which is for you, right? This is my body, which is for you. He broke that bread. He tore that bread. That breaking of bread is a symbol of Christ's brutal death, the breaking of his body. Then he took the cup and he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And when the cup is, is poured, the pouring symbolizes Jesus' blood poured out for us for the forgiveness of our sins. It's Jesus' body and blood, his body broken, his blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. That's why we should see the bread being torn. We should see the wine being poured. Otherwise, we miss this visual part of the sign. We should do that every week. We miss it. The Lord's Supper is a visible proclamation of the gospel, something that we can see. It pictures Christ's body broken, his blood shed for us, paying the price of our sin. See, God created us to love him and worship him. He created us to love him and worship him, to live for his glory, but we all fall short of his glory. We all <laughs> sin. We, we have exchanged the worship of God for idols, Money, possessions, power, pleasure, success, other people, sex, you name it. We worship all of these things. We break God's commands every day. The greatest command that God ever gave us is to love him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 100% every moment of every day and to love your neighbor as yourself. We break those commands, just those two commands, repeatedly, every day, along with so many other commands. Maybe even today, on your way to church, or at home with your family, you sinned 
you broke God's commands. A just and holy God punishes sin. This sin, as sinners, we deserve his just judgment, his wrath against our sin. But you see, God isn't only just. He's also loving and merciful and gracious. And it's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place for our sins so that we could live. That's this picture that we see here. Jesus took the punishment that you and I deserve. This is a substitutionary death. He died in our place for us. That's the significance of that tiny little phrase every week. This is my body for you. Poured out for you. Luke 22 verse 20. So we see Jesus' death was a sacrificial one, dying as a substitute in our place for our salvation. And in this way, when we do this every week, it is a repeated assurance to us of Christ's love for you. Jesus said, greater love has no man than this that he should lay down his life for his friends. Every week, it's a repeated assurance to you of God's love for you. His love for you. Second, it symbolizes our participation in the benefits of Christ's death. Every week, the bread and cup are offered to you when they're passed around. These things are offered to you. And by reaching out and taking the bread and cup for yourselves, each one of us is saying, I am taking the benefits of Christ's death offered to me. We do this by faith. This symbolizes that we, we share in all of the benefits of his death. All the benefits of salvation are yours in Jesus Christ. Every spiritual blessing is yours in Jesus Christ. For all the promises of God find their yes in him, 2 Corinthians 1.20. In the Lord's Supper, Jesus assures us that all, all of the promises of the new covenant are yours. All of the riches of the gospel are yours. You can say every week, they're mine by faith in Jesus Christ. Third, it symbolizes spiritual nourishment. Just as food nourishes our physical body, the the act of eating and drinking is a picture of the very real spiritual nourishment that Christ gives our souls. The Lord's Supper is a means of grace. What do we mean by that? It's a, it's, a, it's a means by which God gives or imparts grace to us to strengthen our faith. Through the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ imparts life-giving, soul-strengthening grace to you every week when you participate by faith as we remember what he's done. Fourth, it symbolizes our fellowship with Christ. When you eat a meal with someone, when you have someone over to your house to share a meal with them, You have fellowship with them. Could you imagine eating a meal with them, but like you don't talk to each other? You don't have any fellowship? How weird would that be? When we share this meal together, Christ himself is present with us, fellowshipping with us. And he does it to strengthen us. Psalm 105.4, I've been meditating on this verse the last week or so. 
It says, seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. We seek strength from the Lord, amen? But you can't have the strength of the Lord apart from the presence of the Lord. If you want the strength of the Lord, you must have the presence of the Lord in your life. And that's what we have every week when we come to Christ's table, fellowship with Jesus Christ. The Lord's Supper, in it, we renew the covenant relationship between us and God. It's an assurance then of our fellowship with Christ and it's a provision of ongoing spiritual strength from him. And finally, it symbolizes and affirms the unity of believers. We see this in 1 Corinthians 10, 17. We who are many are one body for we all partake of the one bread. That is, we are all one in Christ. So when we participate in the Lord's Supper, I remember Christ died for me. I appropriate the benefits of Christ's death. I receive spiritual strengthening from Christ. I have fellowship with Christ. I am united with all believers in Christ. That is what it means that it's a means of grace to strengthen us because it affirms Christ's love for me. It affirms that all the riches of the gospel are mine. It affirms that he spiritually nourishes my soul. It affirms his ongoing fellowship with me. It affirms that I belong to his people. Oh, it's such a beautiful, rich picture for us to strengthen our faith. And I don't ever want us to take that for granted. Amen? All of this should lead us to worship as we look back and remember what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. And we give him thanks. And we give him praise for what he's done. Amen? So we can see that, that in the Lord's Supper, there's this past Look, we're looking back to what Jesus did on the cross, but there's also this present look. We are looking to Jesus Christ today for spiritual strengthening. Do you see that? When we come to the table every day, there's, there's a blessing from God precisely because this focuses the church on Christ and his work. Every time we come to the table, we declare again, I need you. And I'm trusting you, Lord Jesus, to save me and sanctify me and strengthen my soul. We're affirming our faith in Christ, our Savior and King. Oh, we look to Christ to strengthen us so that we can love him and live for him. So we look back to the past of what Christ has done. We, we look to Christ in that moment, in the present for strength, but we also look ahead that's the third look. When we take communion, we look ahead. We see this in verse 26. Look there. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The Lord's Supper should be celebrated regularly until Christ's return. Of course, Christ's return implies that he's alive. <laughs> Amen? He died on the cross. We look back to that, but he didn't stay on the cross. He didn't stay dead. He rose again. And then he ascended into heaven. And now he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God in heaven. Amen? And he rules and he reigns and he is coming back again. And when he comes back, he is going to right every wrong. And he's going to make all things new. He is going to defeat every enemy and every evil, including death. When he returns, there will be no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more pain, no more tears. God will dwell with us. 
do you see? And in his presence, there is fullness of joy forever. Every time we take the Lord's Supper, we proclaim that truth. Jesus said the night of the Last Supper, I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of this vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Matthew 26, 29. The Last Supper has always pointed forward to the great feast, the greater feast that awaits us in heaven. That is the wedding supper of the Lamb when Jesus invites his bride, the church, to feast with him in the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb, Revelation 19, 9. That's our hope, brothers and sisters. Every time we come to the table. In this world, we experience brokenness and suffering from evil. We know deep down this isn't right. This is not how things were meant to be. Amen? And that's true. God made the world perfect. Perfect. But it was broken by sin. And when Christ returns, he's going to make all things new. Ugh. The stories that we hear in the news, some of them are so dark and so painful, I can't share them here. We long for Christ's return, amen? When he is going to make all things right, when he will complete his work of redemption. And we proclaim that hope every time we take communion. We proclaim that hope in Jesus Christ so that other people can share it too. Amen? So in communion, we look back in remembrance of what Christ has done. We look to Christ for strength in him. We look ahead with hope until he comes. And because of all of that, forth, we look in. We examine ourselves. Paul says in verse 27, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, he'll be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink the cup. Notice Paul doesn't say that you must be worthy. He doesn't say you be worthy. He says participate in a worthy manner. He doesn't say you have to be worthy to participate. He says participate in a worthy manner. This isn't about you being worthy. You're not worthy. That is the point. (laughs) We come to the table because we're not worthy. Because we're sinners and we need his forgiveness and his grace and his strength. Amen? This is about the way, the manner in which you take the Lord's Supper. You have to do it in the right way, in a manner that pleases God, in a way that fits what the Lord's Supper represents. Otherwise, you do it in an unworthy manner. That was, that's what was happening in Corinth. Their selfish behavior was making a mockery of Christ's sacrifice. What was supposed to unite them was dividing them. What was supposed to strengthen them was tearing them apart. To avoid profaning the Lord's Supper, Paul says, let a person examine himself, and we examine ourselves in two ways, both of which are relational. The first is my relationship with God. The second is my relationship with other believers. First we ask, how's my relationship with God? I need to be a Christian first and foremost. The Lord's Supper is for believers. You can't take this, uh, you can't take the Lord's Supper 
if, and celebrate it rightly, in a right manner, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ. You have to believe in what he did. But Paul's not talking to non-believers here. He's talking to believers. Even believers need to examine themselves and our relationship with God. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, each week when we take communion, we look in and examine our relationship with the Lord. Is there any unconfessed sin in my life? Before we take communion, we confess any sins that come to mind and we ask God for forgiveness. Am I doing this with repentance and faith, believing and trusting what Jesus did for me? Am I really giving thought to what Jesus did and coming with repentance and faith or am I just going through the motions? Kids, you might wonder, what do I do during this time when everybody is silent? This is what you do. You, you think about the things that you did wrong and you ask God for forgiveness. You tell him you're sorry. You ask him for forgiveness thank him for dying on the cross for your sins, and you ask him to help you love him and live for him. Parents, you have an important role to play here with your younger children. You can train them even as you, uh, even during, right during communion. You can uh, model this for them, show them what this looks like until they're able to do it on their own. The point is, is that the requirement for participation is ongoing or continuing repentance and faith. But second, we also look around. We look at our relationships with our brothers and sisters. We ask, how are those going? This is our fifth and final look. We see this in verses 17 through 22. We see it in verse 29, where Paul says, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. The body here is best understood as a reference to the church, the body of Christ. That's clear from the context as a whole. There's just a strong emphasis through this whole passage on the relationships as believers. And the final exhortation in verses 33 and 34, he aims to mend their relationships and restore unity. He says, So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone's hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. Notice what he's doing here then. He says, you need to examine yourselves. Examine yourselves so you won't be judged. The final exhortation is, So then... (laughs) wait for each other, and if you're hungry, eat at home so that when you gather together, it's not going to be for judgment. So he's dialed in on their relationships with each other. The point is this. If I'm not right, if I'm not right with the body of Christ, then I'm not right with Jesus, and I'm not ready for communion. That's why Jesus said, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and you remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and come and offer your gift. Matthew 5, 23 to 24. So when we examine ourselves, we look in two directions. We look in, how's my relationship with God? We look around, how's my relationships with my brothers and sisters? Why do we examine ourselves? So that we don't incur God's judgment. Look at verses 29 and, and to 32. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Man, verse 30 is jarring, isn't it? (laughs) Many of them were weak and ill, and some died. 
because they were taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. There are a lot of things in this world that are really good if we use them in the right way. But if we don't use them in the right way, they can become harmful to us. For example, we use fire in our fireplaces and in our furnaces to heat our home. They keep us warm in the winter. But if you let that fire out, if you let it loose, it becomes destructive. It can burn down your house. You can be burned by it. Or take water. We drink water or we can drown in it. If we take communion in an unworthy manner, what is meant for our good can actually bring God's judgment. This is a serious warning. God doesn't punish us the moment we take one wrong step. No, no, that's not our God, right? Our God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, Psalm 103, verse 8. But we don't take his kindness for granted. We don't use it as an excuse for sin. The encouragement is in verse 32. Look at verse 32. The encouragement is that for believers, God's judgment is his loving discipline as our father. It's not for our condemnation. It's for our correction. The Lord disciplines the one he loves, the one he receives as his child, Hebrews chapter 12, verses six through eight. He disciplines us for our good that we might share in his holiness. And by sharing in his holiness, we will live for his glory and also find joy for ourselves. So when we come together, let's take the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner, in a way that honors Christ and builds up the church. As we take communion, look back, rejoice, and give thanks for what Jesus Christ has done for you. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save you, now is a great time to do so. Ask him to forgive you. Trust in him to save you. Then, if you do, I would encourage you to take communion with us and celebrate with us this morning. Second, look to Christ. This is a time of fellowship. Look to Christ for spiritual nourishment as you feast at his table. Third, look ahead with hope. Christ is coming back to make all things new. We will rejoice in his presence with the rest of his bride at the wedding feast of the Lamb. Look in and examine yourself your relationship with God, confess your sins, ask for forgiveness, and turn from it to God in faith. The requirement for participation is continuing repentance and faith. Finally, look around. Examine your relationships with your brothers and sisters. If your brother has something against you, first go be reconciled and then come to the table. Don't go on autopilot. (laughs) Don't go on autopilot. Week in and week out, come to Christ's table eagerly to find life-giving, soul-strengthening grace in him. Amen? Let's pray. Bow your heads with me. Lord Jesus, we just stand in awe of you this morning. I want to thank you and praise you for what you have done for us. Lord, as we come to the table again today, Lord Jesus, we ask and pray that you would help us to remember all that you have done. Lord, we know that you're with us here as we participate, with us to strengthen us. And we thank you for that and we praise you for it. We ask these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.